Hello once again, it's the 14th of December and welcome again to Here Comes Christmas from Paul and from Rachel. Here we are again. And a special welcome to anybody who happened to hear us yesterday on BBC Radio Bristol <laughs> and have tuned in especially. Am I being optimistic? Uh, uh, possibly, yes. <laughs> I knew that the mainstream media would catch up with us one day. Anyway, OK, looking back in history, Rachel... Um, as we do this uh, juncture in the programme, what notable events happened on the 14th of December in years gone by? Well, Roll Admundsen reached the South Pole. Famous Norwegian. Absolutely. And going to the South Pole was just such a dreadfully difficult thing to do. Um, he had to trek for 1,800 miles which was equivalent to 69 marathons back-to-back in freezing temperatures, dreadful conditions, and not with the clothes that explorers would wear today. So it's actually a sad story, isn't it? Because um, our Captain Scott was also heading out there at the same time and he didn't know that Edmondson was on the trail already. In fact, by a quirk of fate, he might not have been because apparently Admundsen was going to set off for the North Pole and he heard erroneously that somebody else had got there before him. So he said, oh, never mind, I'll go to the South Pole instead. Well, perhaps that's shortening the story a little bit, but that's basically what happened. Yeah. And having gone for thousands of years without the South Pole being discovered... For Captain Scott to arrive five weeks after Admundsen was just quite incredible, wasn't it, that mm. they were so close together? Yes, so it was a, a um, Scott's party was five very brave guys, uh, Scott, Oates, Bowers, Wilson and Evans. Actually, there was a bigger party that set off. They set off originally with horses and dogs, but they they found that the horses and dogs couldn't cope with the weather. So these guys, not surprised. These guys actually walked the rest of the way so, mm-hmm. uh, with all their kit. That is just an astonishing feat. Do you remember when we went to the Polar Research Institute in Cambridge? Yes. And you can see all their clothes that they wore, letters that they wrote home. Um, it was it's so an interesting, interesting. museum, yes. well worth a visit. Yeah. Yes. So they found out on the 17th of January that they'd been beaten by five weeks. So they just turned around and set off back. And it was a, another 1,500 kilometres back to the area where they would have, have found a depot with food and supplies, which would have kept them going. But they didn't survive. They got just within 20 kilometres of that point. So and sad, isn't it? Collapsed and mm. died. Yeah. Very sad. Actually, more cheerful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, pick us up. <laughs> so my my favourite uh, bit of knowledge is that the, the Norwegians and the British have actually kind of divided up the areas of the Antarctic between them in terms of the names of places. And uh, there are Norwegian names you'll find and uh, and British names. And each side respects the other's names. So my favourite is Mount Betty, which oh, is yes. named after Admundsen's nanny. Oh, <laughs> that's so lovely, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, useless bit of information. Do you know why the Antarctic and the Arctic are called Antarctic and Arctic? Tell me. So, Tell me, do Arctic comes from the Greek word arktos, which mm. means bear. 
Now, a lot of people think, that, oh, yeah, well, of course, it must be polar bears, but it's not. It is the constellation of the Great Bear, yes. which yeah. only is seen in the, the Northern Hemisphere. So there you go. Arctic means near the bear, mm. and Antarctic means not near the bear. <laughs> <laughs> About as far away from the bear as you can get. Okay, so um, that's a, a bit of useless information for today. However, good. Moving. So uh, we're going to have a silly poem. And uh, this is a memory for me because moving back to, oh, crikey, I think it was 1980. Uh, I used to run a recording studio in Leicestershire and we had various people come there to do recordings. Among them was uh, Richard Stilgo. Remember him? Yes, he's been your favourite, hasn't well, he, ever since? He is. He, I he's... admire his his piano playing and his, uh, his humour. OK, so this is a parody that he did of uh, The Night Before Christmas. And as we're lacking a reader today, I've been thrown into dirt. <laughs> Here we go. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the flat, "'not a creature was stirring, not even a rat. "'The light had gone off on the silent TV. "'We'd seen Back to the Future and Jaws 23. "'I'd had three pepperami, a litre of Fanta, "'and now I was ready and waiting for Santa. "'I knew he was coming, I knew I was right, "'for Mummy and Daddy had kissed me goodnight, "'and Mum had said, that noise. I heard it again, dear. To which Dad had replied, no, it's only the rain, dear. I tried to ignore my digestion's loud rattle, for three pepperami put up quite a battle. And that's when I heard them, the sleigh bells a-jingling, the shouted instructions that set my scalp tingling. Come, Rudolph, come, Romeo, come, Posh Spice, keep prancing. Come, Matt and Alicia, come, Brucey, Come dancing. Come begins, Capello, Wayne Rooney, don't slack. Graham Norton, keep up there at the back. I heard their hooves clatter and scrabble for grip. <gasps> for our roof is quite steep and it's easy to slip. I heard Santa alight and I heard my heart beating. <gasps> for then I remembered, we have central heating. The flue pipe is tiny, he hasn't a hope. But surely he's magic. Of course he can cope. He'll squeeze down the chimney. He has. That's the noise of a very small man with a sack of small toys. He's got to the boiler. I heard a small cough. <gasps> Poor Santa. I hope the gas is turned off. Go back, Santa Claus. It's not too late to jump. Oh, no, I can hear him. He's caught in the pump. He's off on the circuit, through all of the rads, the hall, and then Sam's bedroom, and, and then Mum and Dad's. He's going through mine now. I heard a small clank. It's the towel rail next, and then the hot water tank. Back to the boiler, now gasping for breath. He can't have survived. Oh, what a horrible death. Hush, listen. Exactly. There isn't a sound. Poor Father Christmas has definitely drowned. How shocking. No stockings, no gifts anymore. No presents for me or for Kevin next door. The kids of the world will simply be appalled and they'll blame us for having the heating installed. My brain in a fury, I had a small weep and 
pale and confused, must have fallen asleep. I woke to the sound of the pipes early knocking, remembering the horrors, and then noticed my stocking. The varicose sides and the end-of-toe tumour that speaks of the rolos, the twix, the satsuma. I cried, Santa lives. Ah, it was only a dream. The heating cheered, too, with a small hiss of steam. What a nightmare. But my fault. I must have been balmy. The last thing at night to eat three pepperami. Thank you, Paul. That was very nicely read. (laughs) You're welcome. You get the job. (laughs) (laughs) So Richard has a son called Joe Stilgo, doesn't he? Yeah, another very talented uh, pianist. He's been doing a podcast, actually, during the first lockdown. I don't know if he's still going. He's got a little shed at the bottom of his garden, and he does it from that. But to be honest, you know, he just sits at the piano and he can play anything at all. Hugely talented. He's very often um, with the horn ensemble on Radio 4 on the comedy programme and uh, mixing music and humour together, which is, yeah, excellent, isn't it? Shall we have a little song now? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, I think we're going to have When a Child is Born. So, thinking about that, what can you tell us about when a child is born? Uh, made famous by Johnny Mathis, mm. and it's a it's an interesting Christmas song because it actually doesn't mention Christmas anywhere or which child we're talking about. But nevertheless, everybody assumes that it's a Christmas song. Right. Yes, but when you took, when you release a record just before Christmas and it's talking about a child being born, there's a strong the hint is, there. Yes. <laughs> Here we go. A ray of hope flickers in the sky. A tiny star lights up way up high. All across the land dawns a brand new to pass when a child is born a silent wish sails the seven seas the winds of change whisper in the trees and the walls of doubt crumble tossed and
must come true sometime soon, somehow. All across the land dawns a brand new morn. This comes to pass when a child is born. This comes to pass when a child is born. Another lovely song, Rachel. Thank you. A pleasure. Eating good quality food is really important for you and me, isn't it? It is very important for everyone, but yes. Well, it is, yes, but we tend to take it quite seriously, don't we? Try to. Um, we're very fortunate that very close to us, we have the community farm. And I must say, this has been a little bit of an education to me. Um it was started 10 years ago by people who wanted to change the food system from the inside for the better. The community farm. Where, yes. Where is the community farm? Uh, near Chew Magna. Okay. So just across the lake from us. And they took on a few fields which had just been pasture land and they had one tap on these fields and it became a community supported agricultural project. They got 400 initial investors who just gave money to buy into a better food future. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a cool thing to do? That's a good ambition. Yeah. I asked Kim, the managing director, if the fields, the pasture fields that they took on, are still empty. The fields are far from empty, so they're full of veg. There was quite a lot of work done to the soil, like right at the beginning for the first growing season. But ultimately, we're organic. And so by being organic, you cannot add artificial fertilisers and artificial so-called nutrients into the soil. What you have to do is build the soil fertility by the way that you grow. And that, you know, it's not just soil fertility, but it's understanding the land and it's, you know, understanding what can be farmed there really well. And obviously the team just getting better and better. Were you all professional growers when you started? We're an organisation that does does lots of things. So the growing is a huge part of that on the farm. We also run a communities programme that is as much about food and farming as it is about um, other health and wellbeing that you can get from you know, just being out, out in nature. Um, and But it's all about inviting people outside and onto the land. And of course, we have the whole warehouse operation and buying in produce and, and our really successful veg box scheme. And it's always a learning experience. And I don't think a farmer out there would say that they ever stop learning because it's not just that farming practices change and farming industry learns. It's the soil is building fertility, climate changes, you know, what you're growing changes, um, your market changes, you know, who you're working with. Everything just changes. It feels like every year you kind of have one chance, you've got your one season and you've only got that season to learn. And then you've got to hold that learning and then put it in the next year. In farming, so much of it is, you know, an annual cycle. And even with that, you have your crop rotations and they might be three to five years long. You've got a crop in one place for one year 
and then you've got to move it and every farm is is different you know across the farm you know our farms on a slight slope and then there's a flat bit across the top now they're they're completely different growing conditions so when you move a crop you have to do all of that learning as well when you move it it's exciting isn't it because it goes back to where we all started Mm. and we've just got divorced from the whole thing haven't we that's it it's and it's so important not just in terms of our environment but in our health and not just in terms of like the food that we end up putting in our bodies and what that food might contain but actually how it's been grown and how it gets to us and the process that we go through to obtain that food and cook it and consume it is vitally important to all of our health and our mental health and our physical health you know I think something that's been incredibly lost in just recent decades in society we've had sort of a double impact of industrial farming and all of the the benefits that technology can bring coupled with you know society that's working more especially in you know and in the UK and in western society everybody in the household is is going out to work we've got less time in the household to think about food and how we eat it and a lot less ceremony around that you know it used to be people sat down around the table and they only ate when they sat down around the table now we could eat literally anywhere we want you know there's a shop everywhere you go where there's food on the go it loses all of that connection about where it's come from um, and that process of preparing it yourself you know even if it's just chopping a carrot you know that's that's an important process I think that we've lost you've got shops that you actually supply haven't you which is Yes, the retail is quite different to, to the to the veg box, um, but it's it's another really important outlet. Again, just getting good locally sourced organic vegetables out into independent stores in Bristol and Bath. Big champion of the of the local stores. So, like I say, from the outset, the the point of the community farm and it's it's in our name is to invite people and community onto the land and to you know, to be involved with food, farming, but the wider benefits that just being outside can bring. So whether it's, you know, if you want to volunteer or you want to buy a veg box um, or you want to know which other groups that we so Earthwise work with school children, Eco Wild work with adults um, and they um, have wildlife and nature based activities that are you know, to do with health and improving health and well-being. So that's kind of what our website is is portraying, basically. It's all of the ways that you can get involved with the community farm. Well, that really sounds like a project worth supporting. Absolutely. And um, we have our first veg box coming on Thursday, which is very exciting. So where can folks get their veg from? Well, it'd be a good idea to go onto the website, thecommunityfarm.co.uk, and you can read about all the wonderful things that they do. So they plough their profits back from the products that they sold into education for local children, adults and vulnerable people. And if you decide that you would like to be involved in a really good project in 2021, why not think about volunteering 
with the community farm. If nothing else, you get lots of fresh air, you get fit and you can start eating really healthily. Good. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of a farm ploughing back its profits. I know. I thought that was quite (laughs) clever. (laughs) Okay, I think it's time for Simon once more. It is. Let's reintroduce you to the Reverend Simon Lewis, who is going to give us another verse from St Luke's Gospel. Good morning on this 14th day of Advent. Today our reading is verse 10 of chapter 2. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. Here's the question. What is the good news that will bring the shepherds great joy? And why is it good news? It is good news because the news is hope. And for an outsider, hope, well, in fact, for every single human being, hope is essential for living. We remember, we need to remember, that the shepherds, in fact, the whole Hebrew nation, were waiting to be rescued from being bullied by other nations. For someone, a Messiah, to come and save them. They were waiting with hope in their hearts because their scripture told them this. Waiting in hope is not the wishful thinking that seems to permeate our modern thoughts. Waiting in hope is very, very hard because we tend to wait for something very concrete, for something that we wish to have. Oh, I wish the weather would be better. I wish that the pain would go. Our wishes are about a way of controlling the future, and we human beings like to do that. We want the future to go in a very specific direction. And if this does not happen, we are disappointed and we can even slip into despair. That is why we have such a hard time hoping, waiting in hope. We want to do things that will make the desired events take place. And I would suggest that wishing tends to be connected with fears. Remember Zechariah, Elizabeth and Mary? Of course you do, ordinary human beings like you and me. They were not filled with wishes. They were filled with hope. Now, so are the shepherds beginning to be. You see, hope is something very different. Hope is trusting that something will be fulfilled, but fulfilled according to promises and not just according to our wishes. And scripture gave them the promises. The good news is about a promise from God. And the shepherds knew what that promise was. Thank you, Simon. And it's time to go again. So I hope you enjoyed that little ramble through Christmas again. And... uh, The little feature on the community farm made me think of a Christmas joke. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear your Christmas farming joke. Why does Santa have three gardens? I don't know. Why does Santa have three gardens? So he can ho, ho, ho. (laughs) All right. You don't have to laugh at every pathetic joke I come up with. Okay, folks, more Christmas tomorrow, more dreadful jokes tomorrow. Hope you'll join us then. Bye for now. Bye-bye.